We're in a series called This is Love. Uh, today we, we are getting into a passage that is, it's really clear on how God defines this love and demonstrates this love. And John is really working hard at trying to uh, help this whole, f- it's the third century Christian. So, so some have even been around when Jesus rose from death. They're, they're part of this church. And, and John today is gonna really wanna help us understand what truly it means to love one another. He wants to know, he wants to help us see what it is And then he wants to help us see what it's not. So this is what it is. This is what it's not. And then he wants to give a sweet assurance for us at the end. And I just want to say this text could not be more relevant uh, today than, than, well, I mean, the Bible is always timeless, but it is so relevant because here's why. In John's day, what began to happen was in the vein of being loving. So in, in in the heart to want to be loving, some in the church were embracing a different set of beliefs They were embracing an alternative way to think, which allowed them to redefine love apart from the truths of Jesus, from the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus. Uh, And and, and in what sense? Well, they began to define love as it orbited around uh, not Jesus and what he's done, not his character, not how he's revealed love, but more around a kind of love that revolved around, orbited around the self. That, that this is the kind of love that we can have. It's, it's a love we already, we, should, we already desire for one another. This, it was just a kind of self-driven love. And what's, what's, what John's addressing this morning particularly is um, th- there's a confusion around those who were leaving the church because not only were they leaving the church in the name of a different love, but they were leaving the church with like, like an, a hate towards those in the church. So it wasn't just that they were like, hey, you know, we have an alternative way to love one another uh, and this is better because it's more freeing for us, but they're hostile now to those in the church. And they're kind of going, you guys aren't loving, they're the worst. And there's this like, you can tell a battle of, of anger, of hostility in the church. And so John's like a good grandpa and he's like, let me help you understand what's happening in the life and let me give you some assurance of what's going on and let me just really help you define what this true love is and what it's not because this doesn't make sense. It's hard to make sense of this. So this, that's what he's doing. So that's what we're gonna do and I'll try to apply it in our context today. But if you have a Bible, please open it to our passage, 1 John uh, 3. We're going to look at verses 11 to 24 today. Where are we here? So it's after Hebrews, if you're closer to the back, and, and Peter. Um, 1 John 3. So, so f- here's what he's going to do. He's going to first say, here's what it's not. In verses 11 to uh, 15. So let's read that. Ready? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So that's what love is not. And then he's gonna say, this is what love is. And so verse 16 to 18, but but this we know love, 
that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet just closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Then he's gonna give a beautiful assurance. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in him and he in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. All right, so that, our three points are, here's what love is not, and here's what love is, and then a, a beautiful assurance, okay? So what it's not, what it is, and then a beautiful assurance. So first, what it, love is not. So he begins with a summary in the passage. By the way, if you're brand new and you're just a guest today, really glad you're here. My name is James. We like to just go uh, through verses of the Bible, whole books of the Bible. So that's what we're doing. We're just going verse by verse through the Bible. Um, so after beginning with a summary of love one another, which he has done multiple times in this letter, uh, he, he tells us what it's not. Here's what he says. It'll, it'll be on the screen. Uh, <clears throat> verse 12, he, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? That why speaks to motive. It speaks to heart. It's a heart language. Like what was happening? In his, in his heart, in his thinking, uh, what was going on there. And he explains it here. Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And then he concludes in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's very strong language. Uh, hate and murder. Uh, Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount says, if you hate someone with your own heart, You've committed murder in them. So he's using this language. He's trying to help them, again, make sense of this. So first we're asking what loving one another is not. Well, he says it's not being like Cain who murdered his brother. And we want to know, okay, so what was the underlining soil in Cain's heart for this horrific action and reaction? John says because it was because his deeds were evil and, and watch this, his brother's righteous. So there was something about his brother, about who his brother was, uh, that, that Cain wasn't. There was some aspect of, of, of Abel's heart, so we'll learn who about Abel in a second, that, that was demonstrated in his life that just wasn't in Cain's. And that led him to this kind of uh, jealousy and anger, a reminder maybe of what he wasn't. So we're gonna look at this together because we're, you know, some of you maybe never grown up in the church, which is also really glad you're here. All of us have been new to the Bible at one point. So you're like, who's Cain? It's like a Cain, did he hit him with a, like what is happening? So don't be like Cain. So if you have your Bible now, let's do this. Let's go to Genesis uh, chapter four. So we're gonna learn about Cain now, right? Because we're like, we don't wanna be like Cain. So that's what we're doing. You guys, you know, just shake it a bit cold in here so that no one sleeps. That's why we put the air on. Just kidding. All right. Genesis 4. So we want to know what happened in this passage. Let's read it. 
Because if you think about it, John is, is wanting to pastor us this morning in this text that we're in and the experience we felt before. And I think the Holy Spirit's gonna show us some things that I, that I think are really for most of us in this room. And I'm, I'm praying that, that stuff gets revealed. Um, but let's watch this. Okay, so, so Genesis four. Now, Adam knew, so we're talking like Adam and Eve. This is the very beginning. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. <coughs> so Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? That speaks to like sadness, depression, anger and depression. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, I just would have loved to know what they talked about. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So think of our context. Here you have a family. Two brothers, Cain and Abel, same parents, same upbringing, same teaching. In fact, they're both going to worship God, offer to God, bring offerings, but it's a little different. What do you mean? Well, one's rejected, one's, one is, is accepted. And a lot of people think is they, it's, well, that seems very unfair. You read it and you go, well, you know, of course, uh, Abel's a keeper of flock, so he brings flock, and, and Cain is a tiller of the soil, so he brings that. Um, so what's going on? Are, are they not both coming to God with a reverence? Are they not both coming to God and say, look at, you look at what we can, we can, we've worked hard for, and this is really yours, and we're, we're trying to honor you. Um, but like, what, what's happening? Why does God reject one and accept the other? And we, we know that it, that's not what's happening. Here's why we know that. We know that because if they were both coming in the same way, God would accept both, but he doesn't, he rejects the other. So what's happening? There's a few, few reasons for this and, and you wanna know this in the light of what, what John's trying to communicate to us this morning and to this passage, but he, we first get a, a, a real picture of this in Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 11, I think it'll be on the screen here. It says this, by faith able, so Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter about how faith, faith in God's provision is what made people right with God. Like it was all about faith. So he says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. So it says here, by faith, Abel offered his sacrifice. Now faith, as we've said oftentimes, is it's always a positive response to God's word. So there was some way and something that was said to them about Abel's sacrifice that he's, he's doing in response to what God said. 
God had spoken to them either through Adam and Eve or just to them separately about how this is and, 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 and Abel's going in by faith. Abel responds by faith. His sacrifice was living out of the thing that God said to them. So, so here's the question. We're looking at Genesis 4 and Genesis 3. What did God say to Adam and Eve? Well, if you remember, after sin entered into the world and they chose to go their own way, be their own saviors, be their own gods, God cursed the ground and sin entered into everything and affected and infected everyone. And, and, and what they do is they try to cover themselves up and God comes to them. And he says, listen, uh, don't try to cover yourself. You'll never do it. Let me do it, right? If you remember after Adam and Eve sinned, they felt this immediate shame, immediate guilt and a broad consequence and God came to them and he spoke to them. He said, there's someone coming through their line who will be wounded, but will conquer for you. And then you, do you remember what else he does? He clothes them. A life was taken, an animal, and he covers them through the death and blood of this animal to teach them you'll never deal with your, you cannot deal with yourselves. Your offerings will not save you. Your coverings will never work. I have to cover you. And so when Abel brings his sacrifice by faith, okay, in the words of one, it's a faith that's saying, I'm bringing you this, this, this sacrifice, not just because I'm a keeper of sheep, but rather Abel's saying, I don't know how this is gonna work, but all I know is my hope is that someday you will send the wounded one. And so here's my wounded one. And I trust in this and only this, and I, I don't come with my works. So Abel's approach is God, be merciful to me. Cain's coming on the other hand with this like, okay, so here's what you've asked. Here's what I got to do to get this right regard and get my, my debt paid and got in a box or in it. There's no faith. It's not in his heart. It's, it's rather, okay, now you better favor me. And it's interesting because God comes to him and he speaks to him and he dressed, hey, this is what's going on. You need to address what's going on in your heart, Cain, because there's something that's keeping you from me. There's something keeping you from, from responding in faith. And what is it? Look at verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? He says, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, notice this, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So there's something else ruling your heart. Your problem isn't your brother. See, he, he, he was like, my sadness is rooted in something that Abel has. And so Abel's the problem and he got this acceptance and He's like, it's not your brother, it's, it's your pride. It's your self-centeredness. It's this, it's this jealousy. And he's saying, it's, it wants to devour you, Cain. There's a jealousy in there. There's a, there's a, there's a Cain wants to do what is right in his own way of, of bringing a sacrifice. And Abel had a different posture and heart and your anger and your anger is not justified. You think it's your friend, it's not. 
Maybe it's a desire for this attention or it was this feeling of competition or wanting to be first and it's gonna destroy you. He's like, it's like an animal that's just waiting outside your door so that as soon as you open it, it will attack you and smother you and you have to renounce it. You have to see it for what it is. You have to master it. And I think, and I was, wasn't planning to go this way when, in my study, but I think this is for someone or many people today. I wasn't, uh, let me say it this way. Jealousy is so, so common. And it's so disunifying and it's so toxic. As one well-known novelist said, every time a friend succeeds, something inside me dies. Every time a friend succeeds, something inside me dies. And can I ask us just practically, do you crave even spiritually what someone else has? Like maybe the favor, the status, the spiritual gifts, the position, the accolades, the kind of friends like a life that you believe, they seem happier than me. Are you jealous of someone else's accomplishments? Maybe even like spiritual accomplishments. And if you're like, you know what, that's not me. Let me ask you this question. Um, Are you overly possessive with what you have? So like your place at work, your status within your friend group. Are you, are you like, this is mine? Okay, teenagers, where are you guys? You're spread, usually over here. It's just Chris, hey Chris. Um, do, when you go on social media, you're like, not just teens go on social media. Okay, when, when we go on social media, let me ask you this, what, what makes you kind of depressed or like a little bit angry? You know, yeah, you know, other people get more likes. You know what's interesting about my own heart, and I hate it, is you're gonna be like, I don't think he should be my pastor, but I'll just say it. Um, sometimes when I hear if a church is like going through a struggle, I feel better. Yeah, no, don't laugh, that's actually sin. That's caneness. You guys laugh. Oh, he's a sinner. No, like guys, I, the spirit just showed me that's like petting a lion. Um, that will bite my face. Or, or when a church is doing well, I don't feel great about how I'm doing. Um, that's Cain. It's, it's this, it's this comparison And let me ask you this, if that's you and the Holy Spirit showed you something, like be amazed because he's loving you. He's loving you right now. I don't know what that was for you. But he's calling you to bring that to him with a belief that that's not a reality. Like it's like an animal waiting to kill you. And you need to decide from this day forward that you will say to God, God, you're my father. You hold my lot. 
you didn't make a mistake with these gifts, this opportunity, whatever you've given me. And help me to come to you like Abel. Faithful with what you've given me and entrusted to me and, and, and trusting in Christ for me, not being jealous. And I wanna surrender this jealousy in Jesus' name. Well, like, will you pray that right now? Like, I, you, I think you need to pray that. I mean, let me take you to Ephesians. So Ephesians says, now listen, the voices in your head are justifying. They're like, yeah, it's not jealousy. No, but what if it really is? Like, what, what, if, what if you can't see things spiritually because there's a, there's a lion ready to kill you? So, so Ephesians, listen to, listen to what he says in verse 27. Well, I'll just read in 25. So he says, this is Ephesians 4, won't be on the screen. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. So it's not a sin to have a righteous justice kind of, I want righteousness. And, and maybe there's a, an anger that's maybe, this is not fair. This doesn't seem right, God. But he says, and do not sin. And then he says this, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let another day pass sitting on this anger. And then he says in verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. That word in the Greek for opportunity is, is a spatial word. It means space. Don't give um, a foothold, one translation says, or a chance uh, or region. Don't give region to the demonic. Jealousy is lethal. It is the instigator in most murderers. It is. You read about those horrific fathers who killed their entire families. You hear about most of the things we hate in what we read in the news begins there. And so we don't, we don't play with lions. It will kill you. You have to bring that to Christ today. And if you really do have a demon, get a little charismatic, you're going to hear from that demon and he's gonna lie to you. And you have to discern that that's not true and you have to renounce that and you have to fight it because that's what he's saying. This enemy, you're of the evil one. Cain was of the evil one. And if you're like, James, I really think there's something going on. I can't get rid of this anger. Josh and I will, come, will pray for you under this exit sign. But, but this is your opportunity where God, the Holy Spirit's wanting to really free you in this. But don't miss John's point, okay? So that's not fully John's point. Here's John's point. It was not only that Cain's heart wasn't for God. Worse, 
It was that he despised Abel's who, whose heart was for God. Cain's motive for killing his brother reveals a foundational spiritual principle about life in the world. And what is that? Those who do what is right, or no, those who do not do what is right, hate those who do. Those who do not do what is right, hate those who do. What's most interesting and convicting is that a lot of the everyday anger towards Christianity and, and Christians, isn't, it's not like atheists. It's not even like my neighbors love Christians. Like I, you know, I, I try to, I mention my faith to my neighbors and they're not like, like, no, they don't hate. It's not. What's interesting is if you look at the New Testament letters, most of the animosity and division is within the church because here's the thing. Satan hates God, who is one God in three persons, who's perfectly glorious in unity. What does Jesus pray in John 17 for the church, for us in this room? That they would be one. That, that, that the church would, the people would be able to look in the church and see how they love one another and they're united in, in truth and love so that they would see what we're like. And so Satan's going after the unity of the church. Most of the letters are written to those within the church who are creating false doctrines with those in the church. Most of the, the hate towards believers are coming from within those who are beginning to redefine love and the authority of scripture who are going against those who are saying, this is what God's word says and this is how we love. The battle is often and sadly within. In my 14 years of ministry experience, most of the frustration, anger, and utter hate has come from with those sadly inside the church. And, and John's saying, that's just, hey, he's just saying that's been happening since Genesis. That's his point. Like we go to Genesis four and it's one family. So he's like, don't be surprised. Look at what he says in verse 13. This is like the next verse. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Literally, don't like marvel. Don't be shocked. Like Cain hated Abel, wanted him gone. The world, now we gotta be careful here because there's so many different ways we can translate the world. He's not speaking about like the things we love about the world, like hiking or like, you know, he's, he's talking about like a system of beliefs that the leaders are going into and trying to pull other believers in the church to say, this is fine. He's like, don't be surprised when they hate you. Just don't, don't let, that's just been happening since Cain and Abel because they look at your works and they want your works gone. Because when you do this, that means that, or when you believe this is true and what God says is best and loving, that means that they can't live in that way and they just will hate that. That's not loving and there's just this love war and everyone's, okay. Remember, I told you I was gonna be on time. So I wanna make sure since one of our core values is that we love everyone, that we don't ever sense, ever, I would, I would, I would fail as a pastor and I'll stand before God if we ever sense this isn't us versus them, uh, heart. The last thing Jesus came to model and give us was a spiritual pride. He's not saying you're better. 
what we as Christians are called to do is live in love in the realm of Cain. We are called to put God on display, showing the world what he's like. How? Well, we're going to study this in a second, but in short, we're called to love one another as family, just as God loved us. Just as God loved us when we weren't believing the same things, just when we were enemies, when we were still pushing God out, he came to us. Listen, we're not Cain because of his grace and mercy, not by like what we have. Our calling, our new identity as children dearly loved by the Father is to show the world the love of the Father don't miss this, the healing and reconciling power of the spirit and the sacrificial servanthood of his son by how we live. Let me say that again. The new identity as dearly loved children of the father is to show the world the love of the father. So our response to that hatred is still love of the father. We show you by treating you as family in truth, there's a healing and reconciling power of the spirit and the sacrificial servanthood of the son. Jesus calls this being salt. So let's talk about salt, okay? It's gonna get all salty. That doesn't mean anything. I don't know what it's saying, you know? Now I'm just reaching. Matthew 5, 13. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. Talking to his disciples, those who are following him, you're the salt. So if you're a believer in this room, you're salt, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're salt. Yeah, you're salt, you're salt. Yeah, some of you didn't do it because you're like, I don't like when he does this. So I'm not doing it, uh, but you're salt. Like, what's Jesus saying? Well, let's read it. You're the salt of the earth, but, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its Listen to this. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, there's a lot. You can look up what salt and how salt was used, and we will do that in a second. But let me just say, I think what John's been trying to say about the boat, God's seed in us, and what Jesus is saying is, first off, salt can't lose its saltiness because it's salt. Like, he's, he's really throwing them an absurd idea. How can salt not be salt, it's salt. And if it's salt, then it's salt. And if you belong to Jesus, you will be salty. But his point in context is that his disciples, how are they gonna be to salt? They're gonna be salt by being, listen, distinct and savory. So, let, so let's get into this. Um, I wanna, I wanna uh, give credit here, and I'm, we're gonna post this on our website, but Tim Keller in a recent address to the parliament in England, and I highly recommend it. It'll be under the sermon page. It's called, What Can Christianity Offer Our Society in the 21st Century? He makes the point that when Jesus was using the metaphor of salt, he's referring to how when salt was dispersed in meat, it was both savory and, and also a preservative. So he says, on the one hand, it's savory. It brings out the taste. Mm the best in the meat. It, it's, it shows the, brings out the best in the meat. On the other hand, it's a preservative. It keeps from the meat decaying. 
But that only happens, listen, if the salt is salt. It only happens if chemically the salt is different from the meat. If it's not different chemically from the meat, then it's of no use at all. So he's saying to his disciples, to us, he's, we're the salt of the earth. And in every society, that means Jesus says, my disciples should be bringing out the best in that particular culture, at work, in your life, in your friendships, you're called to bring out the best in this world, a world that God loves and is in and is doing wonderful things in and preventing its worst tendencies as well. But he, that, that will only happen if Christians remain salt, which is different from the rest of the culture. And a lot of the great things we love about culture, about the human rights and what God's doing wonderfully through the Me Too movement and all those wonderful things is that it's God's glorified in the principles of what we believe about human dignity and worth and the image bearing of God. But in a worldview where they don't have that, we can still be salt, but we can celebrate this. We can let people know this is where it's from. We're distinct and we bring out the best. There's a lot of things we could apply here, but that's a different sermon. So John's call though, is to help them understand how their brothers in Christ, those in the same community group, in the same home church who are on fire for Jesus, were amazed at the love of God, are now moving in a completely different way of love. And now they hate them. And his response is, we don't stop loving them. But don't be surprised when they hate you. And you're called to, the, the word in our text is truth. We're not just to say we love you. We're called to show in deeds and in truth. So this leads to our second point, what love, what love is. So if that's what love's not, what is what, what, what it is? Okay, verse 16. You, everyone's with me? Good. By this, you didn't even answer. By this we know love, that, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So just stop there. By this we know. By this we know love. This is very important. So how do we know love? He says, we know love in, in what Jesus has done. Love is not merely a say thing. Love is not merely a feeling thing. Love is an active do thing. Where, where, where healing is imparted, where redeeming is active, where, where we see as Jesus laid down his life, we laid down ours. We're called to love with our lives in such a way that they point continually back to the truths of Jesus. Like the way we're to love one another should such demand that people go, where, how are you, how are you? It, it demands that we have to speak of the truths of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Because God's love is an act of love. It's a love that came beside you. It's a, it's a love that went before you. It's a love that comes to hold you, to lean in. It's so intense. It's so involved. It's not simply tolerant. It's It's tangible. It, it hates the things that's killing us, which is sin, self-centeredness, and it's 
active to die for that, to heal us. And so we're to love much like our savior, where, where the gospel is believable. And so he, he's gonna apply it in a few different ways in the coming weeks, because again, this is one letter, we, we split it up in chapters and verses, but look at how he applies it in, in our text today. Look at this. So look at verse 17. I'm gonna say it three different ways. It'll be on the screen. So here's where this, this love needs to show itself, demonstrate itself, that it's at work in you. He says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in truth. Here's how the New Living Translation says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? 1984 NIV says, if anyone has a material possession and sees his brother in need, they have it and they see and has no pity on him. How can they love of God be in him. James 2 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to him, go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? So this, this phrase, he closes his heart. If anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart, it means, it means to literally shut and lock the door. I'm gonna lock the door, We're not, you're not opening here for this person. I see they may have a need, but not my concern. Hope someone helps. You know what that is? That's conscious indifference. And John's like, God didn't say or act that way towards you. God didn't say, I hope someone else helps. He helped. He's given. I mean, that's why you have these material goods. That's not from you. Spiritually, God came into your bankrupt. And he took on your debt and he paid what you owed so that you can have all that he has, an inheritance. I. Howard Marshall says, Christian love is a love which gives to those in need. And so long as we have, while our brothers have little or nothing and we do nothing to help them, we are lacking in the love, which is essential evidence that we are truly children of God. In Acts 4, um, we, we read of, of the, the first church. And here's what we read. This is what a church, they were just blasting out in confidence. The Holy Spirit was evident in their, in their body, in their church. And it gives us a picture into how they lived and what John's calling them back into. And listen to what he says. He says this, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. Like just no one, no one said that any of the things that belonged to, this is mine. No one said, okay, that's mine. 
That house, it's mine. It's no one said that, but they had everything in common. And, they, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had in need. Like, is this, is this what you experience? Like, no, no, now, okay. Some of us have, I can tell you some stories here in a second, but one of the difficulties is we read this, especially in the days of, you know, credit cards and, and we, here's where we live and we're fine. How you doing? I'm fine. Uh, and especially social media is, A, we're not a church family that I think is visibly seeing those needs. It's one hard thing. But I also, I also think that we have shut the door so many times that I don't know if we hear so one of my questions for us, I'm going to do it right now, in practically in your community groups, by the way, in your community groups, here's one idea I'm going to pitch to your leaders. So if they do it, great. If they don't, just trust that they didn't think it was right. So, so it would be really cool if every community group got a post-it note, and I borrow this idea, and, and they put one thing that they have, they know this is the world's goods that they've been given, like, so I have a car, or I have you know, a vacation spot, right? And they're gonna put it up on the wall. Or I have, you know, I have a little bit of a savings. They're gonna put it up and then they're gonna go, okay, who, who has any need for this? And you're just gonna have all things in common, okay? No one's going to community group this week. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're gonna pre-think though. You're gonna pre-think, I have a coffee maker. No. Um, but, but I'm serious. Like, like, here's my question that I want you to ask the Holy Spirit and don't be afraid to ask him. Ask him this. I mean, do you ask him this? Are you the kind of Christian that wakes up or when you come in on a Sunday thinks, what needs do you want me to see within the brothers and sisters? Like, do you think, the, okay, well, God, show me some needs. Second, I want you to do this tonight. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to show you what do I have that you want me to give away? And just let him answer that. What do I have that's not for me? And I've, I've seen this here. Like I've seen this, I've seen people give a car away three months ago. A year ago, I saw a couple sell their home and provide for another family a house that they could have rent from, and they sacrificed daily for this. And I felt this. I mean, it's like Acts 4. But just like, what would it look like if we actually said, okay, God, this is none of what I have is mine. Now, if we're honest, I think there's some of us who know there's people in here who are in need and you don't give.
but you, you don't go to them. And the answer is because you don't want to. And it's not because your heart's dead. I don't think that's it. I think, here, and here's why I don't like my own message right now, because this is me. Okay, it's like Confession Sunday. It's because for most of us, many of us, we're not willing to make lifestyle changes to see what we have and what goods can be given away. Like, you know, it'd be really powerful if you went home and you talked to your roommate or your friend or your spouse or your, and saying, I'm gonna, these are three lifestyle changes I need to make. I think there's just more joy to be had. I think some of us are so miserable because we, we like, you know, this, we don't realize everything's been given to us to, to give away, to be, you know, I think many of us live in anxiety and control issues because we don't want to hear how God could be leading us into profound joy in giving it away. We don't want to hear about that. We just think that that's not profound joy is controlling and having and feeling safe. And I don't know if yet we've done this. Now, if you have the spiritual gift of giving, you do this and you love it and you get profound joy, but all of us are called to this. Like, let me ask you this. What if in your marriage, when you got together about money, if, what if the meetings you had were about, okay, God, we're about to ask you in joy what you want us to do with what you've given us. Where is God wanting to use this? Where, where are we holding back? What if that was the marriage discussion? If you were like, okay, you know, we give, we give 10% because everyone does um, to the church. And, and, but like, what if we cut this and this and this and we could go, who has a need? Like, what if we started, you took the bus to work and why me? And then you fight and then you break and you pray. And, um, but what if we both switched cars and we gave one away? But we, we don't think that way. Okay. I'd, all, I'm, all I'm asking is just let the Holy Spirit lead you. Like you ask him tonight before you go to bed, what do I have that you want me to use? Okay. And if he tells you something, you guys, you can call me and be like, I, I'm leaving the church because... You told me to sell my house. Okay. Um, let, me say, let me say it this way. When God does something to you or God blesses you, he also intends to do something through you. Okay. I'm always running out of time and I told you I wouldn't. So let me do this. Uh, he goes on. So that's, we've looked at what love is not what love is. Now, here's a beautiful assurance. Look at verse 19. It'll be on the screen. Our actions, he says, will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty. God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. That's the new living I put up there on the screen for you. So what's happening here? There's two different views I'll tell you the one I lean into. What I think John's doing in this moment is, is he's, he's realizing that his readers are gonna get an explanation as to what's going on in the church and that they're called to love one another. And it's supposed to look with sacrificial, like giving of their material goods and, and being the church. He's calling them back to Acts 4. I mean, this is what the spirit does when we get together. We have all things in common. 
And then he's saying, you're probably feeling bad. You're probably feeling guilty. You're probably feeling, well, maybe I'm not a Christian, but he's like, I'm writing so that you can be sure you are. And so then he goes on and he says this. He says, listen, and I'm just gonna tell you what one commentator says. John reassures his readers that even though the demands of love for others may stir feelings of being inadequate and incapable, the understanding that God knows the spirit-empowered impulses of his children's hearts better than they know themselves will silence that accusing inner voice. He wants you to have confidence before God when you pray. And he's saying, you're gonna feel guilty at times and God's greater than you and your feelings. He knows your heart. Does that make sense? And some of us, we spend so much of our Christian like strength based on what we can do and not on what God has done. And he's saying, love is shown through you, not on your capability to love, but on what God's done for you. And so how do you need to reassure your heart? Your heart's in the good place. Allow God to speak into your heart, but don't feel condemned because God's greater than your heart. And then he's gonna go on another verse and say, if you don't feel that condemnation, you'll have confidence before God. Hebrews says, let us draw near to God with confidence. So he's trying to reassure you. All right, will you stand with us and we're gonna respond.